Guys, have you ever thought if you're like breathing right? Like, are you really even all right? I, like, are you really breathing or breathing correctly? Like breathing enough, breathing the I same as other enough. people. Like, I don't know. Trey already struggles to sleep. I hope he doesn't struggle with yeah. I know. It's just getting really basic. Now you're going to increase my anxiety about my breathing. <laughs> right? Do you feel like you're breathing right, Troy? Uh, now that you asked, now I'm very focused on it. And I'm, oh, yeah. I feel like I'm not taking deep enough breaths. So right. yeah, now, now I'm thinking about it. I feel that way too. I also kind of have a bit of a deviated septum and have allergies. So sometimes sure. one of my nostrils closes up. So I can't breathe through my nose super easy. So I'm breathing through my mouth. And I wonder if that's good or not. So yeah, right. I, don't, I don't know. Short story is it's not great, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is Who Cares About Men's Health, where we aim to give you a bit of information, inspiration, and maybe a different interpretation of your health. And today, we're going to be talking about functional breathing with a specialist you just heard about. Are you breathing right? And like, if not, like, what can it lead to? And what do can we do about it? So as always, bringing the BS, we have Scott Singpill. Hello, Scott. I am with Troy. Now I am anxious after hearing <laughs> the breathing through my mouth, the mouth breather, and that's not good, Troy. Oh, no. Yeah. As well as Dr. Troy Matson, He is our MD. Hey there, Troy. Hey, Mitch. I'm here and I am breathing right now, but I don't know if it's correct. <laughs> and uh, I'm Mitch Sears, and I'm just a guy who's working on himself, and I actually went through a surgery and everything. I did not realize that I was having as much trouble breathing as I actually did until I was in my 30s. And wow. now it's it's there's it's not quite the like outcome I was expecting, but it is surprising how much of a difference it is. So I, I thought we'd talk about it today. And it kind of give us a little bit of light on what functional breathing is and what that kind of, yeah, what that means is Dr. Sarah Akina. And she has quite the specialty and background. And I'm going to try to say some of these words, but it's, the, uh, she is from the Department of Otolaryngology. Is that just ENT? That is correct. Ear, nose, and throat, otolaryngology, head and okay. neck surgery, all all similar things. And you are also a assistant professor and director of the facial plastic and reconstructive surgery at University of Utah Health, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. The director in the department of otolaryngology. Dr. Akina, like, talk me through this. Like, what is functional breathing? And does that mean that there's dysfunctional breathing? And like, what, how do we define that? Yeah. So, you know, it's such a common story, exactly like you're saying, Mitch, where so many people who may have had, you know, issues with their nasal breathing since birth, you know, that's just normal for them, right? That they can't breathe through the left or right side of their nose. And until someone comes along and points that out, you may not necessarily realize that you have an issue breathing through your nose. Um, you know, there's also folks who, of course, uh, you know, everyone uh, having nice physical activities in which they probably eventually break their noses. <laughs> Those oh. folks often do recognize, right, where there was a pre and post really good function. And afterwards, they realize, hey, I can't breathe through this side of my nose. So, you know, the amount of air you're getting through your nose is pretty important. That helps us, you know, regulate a lot of functions in our body, of course. And the other important thing for nasal breathing overall is it helps 
filter air, right? So your nose is meant for you to breathe through. It has lots more filters than just if you're mouth breathing, for instance. Um, so that's one function. It also helps humidify air as you're breathing it in. And, you know, places like Utah, right, where we have a very dry climate, it's important to get all sure. that humidity that you can. Um, but also at night, too, you know, so if you are mouth breathing at night, you have a higher likelihood of having things like sleep apnea because it's actually easier Whoa. to obstruct. Yeah. So, you know, having the base of your tongue collapse your airway or, you know, things in your pharynx collapse a little bit more. That's more common if you're only mouth breathing. So what are some of the things, I guess, that can interfere? You mentioned something about the tongue. We've talked about like the actual structure of the nose. What are like the main things you are checking for to see if the person is breathing right or not? Yeah. So when I see a patient, you know, my number one question for them, too, is what they're experiencing, of course, sure. because, you know, whether they, you know, again, have had some trauma history, have had surgery in the past or things like that, I want to know. And then certainly the next step is what does their nose look like? So really common areas to have obstruction are the septum, like Mitch, I heard you experience. So yes. your septum, yeah. <laughs> that's that middle part of your nose that divides the left and right side. For a lot of folks that can be crooked. Now, having a crooked septum doesn't necessarily mean you have trouble breathing on the side that it's pushed to because an interesting adaptive part of our body, again, probably to improve the humidification and filtering of air as we breathe it in, is your turbinate on the other side ends up getting big. So turbinate, big long word again, that's actually bone in your nose. You have three sets of them on either side and they look like little basically kind of seashells. <laughs> so another word that we call them is actually concha for the bones in them. Oh, but okay. but yeah, so those turbinates can actually variably swell and they do often swell, for instance, in response to allergies like um, either it was a Scott or Troy. Did you mention you had some nasal allergies? Yeah, that's me, Scott. Yeah. So Scott, so your turbinates are probably swelling in reaction to these allergens that you're breathing in your nose. So for you, it might be more a turbinate issue where the turbinate's oh. just getting in the way of that airflow into your nose. And happily, we have, you know, both medical and surgical treatments that we can use to address that. So those are a couple examples. One of the other big examples is, you know, the outer part of your nose can collapse. So that's called lateral wall insufficiency in my world. And that's something that we can help with things like breathe right strips, right? Have you guys ever seen the strips you can put on your nose to <laughs> yeah. kind of help, yeah. you know, stabilize the sidewall mm -hmm. um, or nose cones you can literally put in your nose to help stabilize from the inside. So those things all support, you know, a floppy nasal wall. But we can also do surgeries to help that too. Is that a technical term, floppy? Yes, floppy. Highly, oh, highly technical. Oh. Wow. Okay. Huh. So as, as I, I'm sure a lot of maybe listeners and at least the people in the room right now are thinking like, how would I know? You know, <laughs> like yeah. can, I'm going to share my experience in a minute, but like, well, I've been re breathing my whole life, you know, like how on earth am I going to know that like maybe I'm not breathing quite well? Right. Yeah. You know, so funny story. I was um, in a yoga class recently and my yoga teacher had us doing these breath exercises where you literally, you know, close one side of your nose with your finger and try to only breathe out of the other side and then vice versa. And, you know, after class, I was like, oh, you must, you know, make sure that you're breathing through both sides to be able to do this. And she's like, oh, yeah, my husband actually tried to do this. 
couldn't do it and realized his septum was totally pushed to one side. So he's wow. going to come see me now. Wow. <laughs> so that's wow. an easy test initially is to, you know, literally use your finger, pinch off one side of your nostril and see if you can breathe through both sides of your nose independently. And I'm guessing we all just did that. Yeah, see, I was, absolutely. <laughs> I just did it. Yeah, seems Troy, to work. Yeah, both, both nostrils good for you, or was one? Yeah, little... no, okay. they seem seem to work okay. Yeah. But I'm hearing very clearly that breathing through your mouth is not ideal, and you probably yeah. should be breathing through your nose. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of. Um, other things that, you know, I kind of haven't gotten into that are a little bit more technical, but um, there's a really great book actually called Breathe that goes through some of the interesting concepts of, you know, nose breathing versus mouth breathing. And not only does it affect things like sleep apnea, but it can even affect like the air that gets into your sinuses, for instance, right? So sinuses, you know, those exist behind our cheeks, behind our forehead, between our eyes, and those can get blocked, obstructed, things like that, especially uh, for Scott, if you have allergies, unfortunately. So nasal breathing, you know, it kind of helps to improve the aeration of those areas too. So lots of stuff going on with just breathing through your nose. That's why, you know, as humans, we're, we're meant to breathe through our noses and it's, it's an issue if you can't do it. So hearing that also, so if I'm practicing more breathing through my nose, does that just make it easier then to breathe through my nose? Yeah. And you'll notice, you know, if you try to do more breath exercises where you're just really trying to close your mouth and breathe through your nose more, you know, oxygen exchange, CO2 exchange, things like that, those can actually be shown to improve over time. Hmm. I will say too, you know, sitting here, it's it's not a big deal to just breathe through my nose. That's not a problem. But I do notice if I'm exercising, I'm running. Bragger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, do, I'm doing all right. Yeah. yeah. But, if, but if I'm exercising, I, I just can't get enough air. Is that a is that a problem or is that pretty typical? Yeah. You know that. So I would say that can indicate that you might have some of that nasal wall collapse. So a lot of folks mm. with nasal wall collapse, you know, they do okay when they're just breathing normally, like sitting, recording a podcast like this. But yeah, you know, when they're exercising, trying to sleep, things like that, when, you know, you're horizontal and things in your nose can swell a little bit more, that's when you have problems. And that can suggest that you have some anatomic causes for that, that, that we could look into and try to improve. So. Say you're listening right now, you've done the little nose trick, you're driving or whatever, and you're like, oh, no, like, I should probably go get this looked at. Who are they going to? Is it like, do we start with a PCP? Do we go straight to someone from an ENT or something? Yeah, you know, I think your end goal is to probably end up in an you know, ENT otolaryngologist office Um you can ask your primary care provider to take a quick look. And, you know, a lot of patients that I see do come through their primary care providers who said, oh, you know, this patient definitely has big turbinates or has a deviated septum, things like that. Um, but going to a nose specialist is, I think, really helpful. Um, there's a lot of knowledge that we have about other parts of the nose and making sure we're optimizing function as a whole. Uh, you know, we've talked about Scott's allergies a decent amount. That's another thing that we can help, you know, treat or point patients to treatments for. So, so yeah, I, I think it's a great idea to see your, your ENT. And then, you know, the other aspect that we haven't 
touched on yet is when we're considering these things that affect your nose, of course, there's appearance changes that can happen. So, you know, if the very front of your septum is is deviated or pushed over, uh, we may have to do an open surgery where we're basically opening your whole nose up to be able to fix those areas. And you want to make sure that you're going to someone who can put everything back together in a nice way. <laughs> Is that why my ENT kept asking if I needed a plastics consult? <laughs> yes, that is. I started to take it personally where I'm like, <laughs> you guys, like you said, you're going deeper. Like you said, it wouldn't change anything on the outside. Well, sure. We just, you know, just in case. And it's like, yeah. ah. Okay. Yes. And that and that's a big divider, right? And it's important to know. So, okay, yeah. A, we've established maybe you have problems breathing through your nose. B, are those functional problems, you know, also uh, concurrent with appearance problems. And, you know, one of the most common reasons that I see, especially men in my practice, is because they've had nose fractures before. You know, they, uh, they're at the bars or they're MMA fighters or they're, you know, just running with their dog and tripped on the sidewalk and broke their nose. So, you know, there's a factor of trying to fix that broken nose in addition to fixing their breathing. And I think going to, you know, a surgeon that can help you with both is ideal. So what you're saying is if you have a deviated septum, you can get your insurance to cover not only the correction of that, but also a nice, nice nose job. <laughs> not, not exactly. And I oh, do okay. want to be clear on that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, you know, fixing nasal fractures. Yes. Insurance indications for that. So if you've definitely broken your nose a few times and you're looking for those bones to be reset in a better place, then yes. And, you know, if trauma has also accordioned your septum so that you can't breathe anymore, things like that, yes, we can absolutely work with insurance and often use that to get that covered. But for those cosmetic aspects, you do want someone, you know, who one, is really experienced in putting cosmetic noses together. And two, because of that, you know, that's not covered by insurance, right? So any changes in the true appearance as opposed to just resetting bones from a fracture or fixing the septum from a fracture, that's cosmetic work. And it's important to, you know, think about that for your own, you know, own well-being and own thoughts and decide if that's something that you want to change at the same time, because it is very easy and common for us to do both functional and cosmetic surgery at the same time. Yeah. So you're doing it all the same operation. Just one gets built to insurance, the other you're paying out of pocket for it. Exactly. Okay. Well, let's say, you know, someone like myself, I've admitted many times on here that I'm a horrible patient and I don't like to go to doctors. <laughs> and, you know, like we've talked about, I have no problem just breathing through my nose right now. But if I'm exercising, I find I just can't get enough air. Are there things I can try to do before I go and see a doctor for that? Yes. So some of the really common things I'll recommend patients try. And, you know, on the insurance side, too, we actually always generally have to show that patients have tried conservative measures before we're doing surgery. So one of the big things is using nose sprays. So things like, you know, saltwater spray, ocean spray, saline spray, all the same thing. You can get them at your local pharmacy, drugstore, grocery store, everywhere. And just using a few squirts of that, you know, maybe before and after exercise to help flush the stuff in your nose out that might be causing congestion or obstruction always super helpful. Next level up is using something called intranasal steroids or fluticasone would be one example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that gives an actual steroid spray to parts in the nose that could be getting inflamed, whether that's, you know, from vasomotor rhinitis type things or allergies. Again, you know, that kind of helps calm things down. Vaso- 
motor rhinitis actually is a special case where if you notice that your nose is running a lot in the cold, like in Utah winter, or when you're specifically exercising or even things like eating spicy food, um, Mm. that can be helped with another type of spray. Is fluticasone the same as the the brand Flonase? Is it that in the generic? Okay. Yep. Yeah, exactly. All right. I I do take that for allergies. So that would that would help. That would also help the swelling of my thingy bobbers if they were swollen. Your turbinates? Yes, it would. Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, and one other comment I'll say to that, Scott, is so when you're spraying these sprays in your nose, one trick is that you don't actually want to spray straight up right? Because everyone thinks their nose is just this front little part that you can kind of touch and see, but your nose actually goes back, right? So it goes towards your ear. So I always counsel my patients when you're using sprays, you know, put it, put that little spray nozzle in your nose and point it towards the same side ear. And that's how you're actually going to get it onto the turbinates and acting where it needs to act. Oh, great. Thank you. Yeah. And the Breathe Right strips, do you think those yes. make a difference? I do. You know, the the tough part with them is obviously, you know, every time you're exercising, you don't necessarily want to stick a sticker on your nose. <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah. right. So that's, a, the you know, a little bit of the limiting factor with those. But, you know, I have a lot of patients who don't necessarily want to move to surgery, try the Breathe Right strips and, and honestly, at least use them at night. Um, or yeah, if they are going to anticipate like heavy running, things like that. And they do really well with them, you know, and that's one of my indicators to say, actually, that if, you know, the side of your wall is stabilized by that sticker that you would do well with surgery. So I think it's always great to try if you're thinking about it and notice that you have an issue with that. So there's all these options that we try first, right? Mm -hmm. Um, With my own, you know, road to a surgery, like we, I, they had me do these nose sprays. I have apparently been using nose sprays wrong my whole life. Like (laughs) I, you know, I learned, I learned that to point towards your ear, right? Um, but what if it's still not working? Like, what if you're still not quite breathing right? Like, what is the is the next option surgical? We actually have to, like, fix the structures? Yeah. You know, after those medical and, you know, kind of device applications, if you're still having issues, and quite frankly, especially for a deviated septum, right, where there's a very fixed blockage, you may not have a lot of improvement with some of those other measures. So surgery is often the next option we turn to. And I'd love to hear, Mitch, what experience <laughs> you had with it. That's uh, a juicy. Yes, because, the you know, the tough part with surgery, it's, of course, under general anesthesia. So you have to, you know, work with your doctor to make sure you're a good candidate for that. Um, But overall, it's typically for a standard septoplasty and turbinate reduction. Uh It's, you know, maybe a one to two hour surgery that can be pretty quick. And you have to let that swelling and everything recover for a few weeks. But afterwards, you know, after that few week downtime, most patients have really significant improvement. So yes, general surgery, you know, anesthesia, all that. But after a few weeks of downtime, you can notice a big difference in your nasal breathing, which you do all day, every day, right? So most yeah. patients feel like it's it's a good uh, return on investment, we'll say. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my experience. So just to kind of talk about what I went through was, it was actually during the uh, Who Cares uh, Mid-May 5K, which keeps coming up. But it was, I was starting to run again. I was starting to get more active. And it just seemed like, 
even the, you know, even the littlest bit of activity, I was breathing through my mouth. Like it wasn't much. And all of a sudden I had to switch to my mouth and it got even worse. I started to notice when my allergies were flaring up. I've always had some of the worst allergies. Like if I walked into someone's house and they had a cat, like anywhere in the house, I would like stop breathing. My eyes would swell, et cetera. Right. And seasonal allergies too, they'd get really, really bad every year. And it just, it seemed like I had to be on all these meds and everything to keep it so I can even breathe right. And so I'm like, man, like, maybe I should go get this looked at. And I met with an ENT. And they took this like, they numbed my nose, they shoot a whole bunch of lidocaine up there. And then they like, got this scopey thing. And she went to put it up my nose and it she couldn't get it in. And she's like, well, you got a really deviated septum. And that's something I had never even thought about. Because usually when you hear deviated septum, people can see it. Oh, or, uh, think Owen Wilson. Oh, you know? sure. <laughs> looks yes. like he has one, yeah. but I don't know. Yes, right? multiple fractures. He also looks oh, like he's had. Sure. <laughs> so, it's, so the septum is like the little in-between bone all the way up, right? It's not just at the front of your nose. Yeah. And you know, so another fun thing you can do as you're listening is literally stick <laughs> your fingers into your nose and you can feel your septum. Uh, you know, the very front part of your septum is what we call the membranous septum. But just behind that is where the cartilage starts. So your septum is made of both cartilage and the front, usually about two to three centimeters, and then bone behind that. So you can have crookedness of any of that part all the way to the back of the nose. And so the front part that you feel and, you know, you can only feel, imagine, like a centimeter. And remember, your septum is actually going about, you know, three to four centimeters behind that, at least. So you can only feel and see a very small part of your septum. Mm. And that's why, you know, a lot of folks do use cameras or endoscopes, as you experienced, mm-hmm. Mitch, to see further back. Um, and, in, you know, another important thing I just want to add is if you feel like you have, you know, one-sided nasal obstruction, um, there are other obviously rare causes of that, such as, you know, tumors, inflammatory diseases, things like that. So that's something that we can get a better idea of using a camera. And, you know, not to, of course, scare anyone. It's, you know, much more rare for you to have trouble breathing through one side of your nose because you have a tumor. But that's another reason why it's really great to see a specialist who can evaluate all those things for you. And I suppose if you have a tumor, it would probably manifest itself like I've been normal breathing my whole life and now all of a sudden I feel a obstruction and I didn't get hit or anything. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They then switched to, I guess, the pediatric endoscope to get back into <laughs> the back and yes. uh, found out a little smaller for you. The, the kitty scope, we say, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They got the kitty scope so they could get up there. And that's just it. It's like I've met, I've had friends and everyone who have DVD exceptions. You can see them. I didn't even imagine. So they were able to weasel in back there and they said that my turbulence were extraordinarily inflamed. And so they put me on meds for a while. It didn't really help. And they suggested I get a septoplasty. And, um, what exactly did they do to me, I guess, right? Because they said, because like I came, I fell asleep, right? General mm-hmm. anesthesia. I woke up, my nose was super swollen. There was stuff shoved all the way up there. Like they were delightful, but like, mm-hmm. you know, like are they breaking things? Are they, you know, what what is going on in there? Yeah, so there's, I think of septoplasty in two levels. 
So first level, it sounds like what you experienced is where we're making cuts inside the nose. So all cuts mm-hmm. are inside and we're basically lifting the skin up on either side of that cartilage in the bone that makes up the septum. And then we're literally cutting out the crooked parts. Oh, okay. Yeah. We do have to be careful to keep a small part of the front part of the septum and the top part of the septum to stabilize your nose because that's the part of the septum that actually gives your nose its its support. So, you know, just kind of like a building. There's a couple beams there as long as you have, you know, this wide of a beam at the top sure. and along the, uh, the front, then it's stable and okay. So we're very careful to do that. And then the rest of it, actually, you're, the entire rest of your septum, we can take out. Now, we do have to be careful at the top of your septum because that connects to your brain, basically. Oh, The base yeah, of where sure. your brain sits. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, there's, I always talk to patients, there's a very rare risk when you're getting a septoplasty that you could cause some sort of break in the top part of your septum that connects to where your brain is sitting and cause a leak of brain fluid. Yes, it sounds scary. We can fix it if it happens. It's extremely rare. But again, that's why you want to go to someone who knows what they're doing, is familiar with the nose, and can make sure they have nice techniques to prevent that. And what's the second type? Second type is what I'd call an open septoplasty. So that's the one where if the very front of your septum, so that part that you can feel with your fingers, if Mm -hmm. that's crooked, that gets to the, you know, what I was saying about the structure of the nose. So to replace that part, we actually have to make a cut, usually on the bottom part of your nose or your columella. And then rest of the cut still inside the nose, we basically lift up all the skin and then approach that very front part of your septum. And we can do things to that front part to make it straighter. Sometimes I have to cut just that entire front part out and essentially remake it with the other cartilage from the back part of the nose. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's how we can resupport and restructure to improve breathing in that area. Okay. But as you can tell, that's a much more extensive procedure. Yeah. So that's, you're, you're talking more like, you know, average three hours for most folks. And we're lifting all that skin up, taking cartilage apart, got to put it back together again at the end. And there can be changes with that and changes in the way it looks after. Yeah. What's the recovery like with that? Yeah. So recovery from the first type, so just going inside the nose, is pretty quick. So we do often use splints called Doyle splints. So there's these silicone splints they that sit are in the, the nose. Worst. Yeah. They're not fun. It's no, true. No, it's fine. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, you know, they serve a pretty essential purpose for us because it helps. You know, I talked about that skin that we have to dissect off of that cartilage and bone. Those splints help that skin sit back together so that it heals nicely. Because one of the other risks of doing a septoplasty is if you have, you know, breaks in the skin on either side, when you heal, you can actually get a septal perforation or a Ooh. hole in your nose. Yeah, not fun. If it happens, sometimes you'll hear whistling when you breathe <sighs> in and out. No. Not not a fun party trick for the person who it's <laughs> happening to. It's all day, every day. Yeah. yeah, all day, every day. Uh, so that cannot be fun. You know, you also might have paradoxically more nasal obstruction because the air is not moving smoothly through your nose. It's becoming turbulent because it's going around this hole. 
Mm. So not the best problem. And one way that we can just make sure that everything heals nicely <laughs> is using those Doyle splints to help make sure that that skin is nicely healed together. So those most folks will leave for, you know, anywhere from three to 10 days. I would say average is more a week. That's what we do for most folks. And then we get those splints out. And usually people are feeling pretty great after that. You know, swelling in the head and neck does take time to go down. So I always tell my patients, you know, ultimately a full six months is is what I'd anticipate to just kind of slowly get better over time for the open septoplasty. So because there's swelling and, you know, dissection and so much more of the nose, that ultimately can take, you know, six to 12 months for all that swelling to get better. Wow. But people are usually feeling much better in that kind of two-week period after we take the splints out from a week and then some of that acute swelling goes down, you notice a difference. It's it's pretty pretty impressive for a lot of patients. Uh, I made the person film as they pulled these gigantic things out of my nose. Oh, yeah, wow. there's there's popular like TikTok channels about oh, what? Yeah. coming out of the nose. There's like yeah. scabs and everything. You don't even realize the whole oh, thing yeah. comes out. I'll, I'll share the video later, but like you can oh, see. No, that's fine. That's all right, Mitch. That's fine. But you can see on my face, like the second those things came out, it was like someone was like shooting air from like an air cannon or something up to my nose. Like I could breathe better than I think I ever oh. was able to before. It's mm. crazy. Just like, what? And I know that I was swollen and whatever, and I hadn't breathed for 10 days, but like it was significantly different. And it's been kind of interesting thinking back on this that I got it, what, a year and a half, two years ago? And the thing that I've noticed the most is when I run, it takes a little bit more effort until I have to switch to mouth breathing, which is nice. You know, it's not a huge difference, but it's the it is the allergies. Like oh, yeah. it's like I suddenly have a higher tolerance or capacity. Oh. I, you know, I can I can breathe I, like I'll still have a reaction. Like if when the, the trees are blooming and things, I still get a sniffle. But like I'm no longer in that place where I'm getting sinus headaches and infections mm -hmm. and you know, I, I, I can manage it with some of the medications that I had already been taking. And so that was a big, that was a big success for me, I think. It's like, <laughs> I, you know, I thought I was going to like suddenly become an athlete breather. But at the, at the end of the day, like, now I don't have to worry about allergies as much. And it's a big life improvement. So Dr. Akina, is that because of the surgery or is, is Mitch just imagining that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that can be a great effect from the surgery. Okay. You know, one other caveat I'll add is sometimes when people can breathe better through their nose, they're getting more allergens in their nose. Sure. So oh. then they have to be oh. a little bit, sometimes a little more regular of just making sure they're using some of those things like saline sprays or irrigation plus sure. Sure. Flonase. But you know, the other great thing is that when your nose is more open because there's not this big septum obstructing it, then you can actually get those medicines back yeah. into your nose where they need to go. So I still think it's, you know, most of my patients say overall, even if they've had, you know, allergies that they're dealing with, they're really happy that they did the surgery because they can, you know, get medications around their nose more. And exactly like Mitch said, they're just breathing better and it just feels good. Yeah. And I, I know they also had to, I was basically told that my turbulent. Tur turbulence, turbinates, what are they Tur called? Turbinates. <laughs> turbinates were like particularly giant, mm. like after a lifetime of like being inflamed. And so yeah. I know they cut a whole bunch back out there. And I think, I wonder if there's just, it was explained to me that I have more room 
like like just overall yeah. right so yes exactly and the in the turbinate surgery yeah that's something that we often pair with fixing the septum like i said because usually if the septum's crooked to one side then the other side turbinate actually is filling that space so doing both together is the optimal way to open that nose up and, and get that air getting through so I've had a deviated septum, at least I think I do, for as long as I can remember. I don't even know how it happened, right? But I know that one side of my nose, when I do the plug the one nose nostril test, mm-hmm. it's more difficult, right? Yeah. I'm kind of curious, you know, that I would like to have it looked at. Yeah. Do, do I just go in and then you just go, well, that's not too bad. Probably we're not going <laughs> to do anything. And then that's that. And we never see each other again. Or am I getting myself in? Am I heading towards surgery if I go in, I guess? Yeah, it, I would say it just totally depends on the evaluation. And please do come see me, Scott. We can look at your nose together and uh, see, <gasps> see what's going on. Yes. Uh, and I can even show you on the camera and everything, all those little uh, nooks and crannies inside your, your face. And we'll see what's going on. You know, if medication is a good option for you, we'll talk through that. If, you know, depending on what I see on your septum or your turbinates, we can just talk through different options of what surgery may look like if the med medicine and other, you know, conservative measures are not helping. Uh, We can just go through it all together. The thing that Mitch said that really kind of made me think about it is just the allergies thing. Like allergies isn't quite as bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know that I'm, you know, exercising hard enough to justify <laughs> sure <laughs> sure that i'm a, a well I I machine no. but yeah 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 no i think the allergies is a big part and that's you know a lot of my patients have concurrent allergies with something obvious obstruction wise in their nose now i do always have to say as a surgeon, I cannot cut out allergies. Oh. Allergies are just, you know, how your body is responding to the environment. And we do have a wonderful allergists who specialize in, you know, figuring out a great way to, to manage your allergies. But when you have allergies plus these obvious blocked points in your nose, you know, those are the things that I can address definitely with surgery. But for the allergies, you know, we may always have to have you using steroids in your nose, rinses in your nose, things like that. But at least, you know, we can do things to get those medications better delivered inside. And I'm not exactly sure how to ask this, but is it just self-reported? I feel an improvement. This is better. Or do you have some sort of a device that is actually telling if I'm breathing better through my nose? Yeah, it is primarily self-reported. So we have a lot of really great validated patient surveys basically to self-report symptoms. And then that in combination with my exam is how I counsel patients on what to do. Uh, Historically, we have had things like um, measure basically airflow in your nose, but they're a little bit tricky to use. There's not great inter and intra-rater um, variability reduction. So, so yeah, so typically right now we're using patient reported outcomes and our exam. So if we did some steroids or we did some sprays and I would go, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. And that, that, that's how we would decide. Yeah, exactly. Except for there's a survey that's been validated. That Yes. It's a fun name. It's called the schnoz. That's of the one that course. I use. Of course. <laughs> is, that, that, is that like an acronym or something? The schnoz? It is, yes. It's the... Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you guys like that one. I do yeah. like it. <laughs> it, it. The schnoz is great because it's a standardized assessment, both of the function and cosmesis. So that's what we use. <laughs> okay. 
Okay. How is that spelled? I was going to try. Yeah, I was trying to figure out how does that acronym yeah, it's work. It's S C H N O S. Okay. Okay. I always thought there was a Z in schnoz, but I guess I'm... not this schnoz. Special schnoz. No, I was going to say I have never focused so much on my breathing this entire <laughs> podcast, right. like breathing through my nose, and I've gotten through it breathing through my nose the whole time. So maybe that's a good sign. I don't know. Great sign. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Well, guys, like why I don't I hear that we're very self-conscious about our breathing and I'm sure everyone listening is as well. But what did we learn today? <laughs> Mouth breathing bad. That's <laughs> what I learned. Sure. And I yeah. really have this thing looked at. I've threatened to do it for a long time and I've had other people in my life that have had it done and they talk about how great it is. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm falling to the man trap of, well, it's probably not that bad. You know, it's not bad sure. enough to really go in and do something. But, you know, maybe I'll take a step and we'll uh, I'll, I'll let like somebody like Dr. Akina figure that out for me, who knows a lot more than I do. <laughs> cool. Yes, please come to see me. And, and, you know, it's an important point. I mean, these are often quality of life issues, but, you know, we we want to improve your quality of life. I think it makes sense to get it looked at and just see what we can do. And how about you, Troy? My takeaway is it sounds like if I just practice breathing through my nose, things will probably go even better there. So I recognize that it sounds like things aren't ideal, just the issues I have when I'm exercising. So I'm going to try and breathe through my nose more when I exercise. See how, how it goes. About, how about those cones? You thinking those cones might be a good thing? <laughs> Stick the cones in my nose when I'm running. Get or really wide. Yeah. 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 Maybe so. Maybe so. All right. Mitch, how about you? Take away. This was something I had never even thought about. It was just like a stray thought I had while I was jogging and listening to a murder podcast. It was just like am I breathing weird? And like, it led down this whole like avenue of seeing whether or not it really was something that could improve my life. And so I, I'm, thank you guys so much for like playing along and listening to the story. And like, thank you so much, Dr. Akina, for joining us to kind of let us know a bit about breathing and what we can do to improve it. You are so welcome. Thank you guys for having me. And Scott and Troy, I expect to see you in my office soon. <laughs> Both Uh-oh. of them? I didn't realize I was on the hook here. <laughs> you, you bring the phone and you record it. Oh, I'm the one for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, yeah. what I'm going to do. Emotional I'm support. This. That's right. <laughs> so if you are listening and you have been doing the nose tricks or have ever th- considered that maybe breathing is something that, you know, you might want to get looked at, you can contact us at hello at the scope radio. Again, that's H E. L-L-O at thescoperadio.com. Thank you for listening and thank you for caring about men's health. 